You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, congratulations. The earth has made another full orbit around the sun. How about that? When you say it like that, it doesn't sound all that exciting, does it? But it's a new year, and it's that time of year people think about New Year's resolutions, new uh, goals, things like that, Um, or or really, even if you don't get that systematic about it, a lot of times we just think about things like, how could this year be better than the last one? How could I be better in this next year? How could life be better in the coming year? And so people, we tend to think about things like finances. How can, I'm finally going to cancel one of my streaming services because I have nine of them or something like that, or I'm going to get my finances in order, or these relationships, we're finally going to, I'm going to make these relational decisions, um, or health is another big one. I've made one, uh, a resolution, a goal for this year. This is true, so do not laugh. I have started taking Pilates. How about that? Thank you for not laughing. I had to prompt you not to laugh or you would have chuckled, I'm sure, when I said that. I met with this trainer and I have have no flexibility whatsoever, no core strength, and I've kept hearing about Pilates. I was like, all right, I'll do Pilates. It hasn't had its effect yet, in case you're wondering. I've just done it a few times. Um, But I met with this trainer named Dana, who is just like ball of energy with a ponytail that is just like explaining like how to do Pilates. And she was so excited that I was doing it. And one of the things she loves is she loves finding people who are all across the spectrum of um, really, really gifted, like have done Pilates or maybe even yoga or something like that for years and years and years, and then people who have not done a thing. In fact, I told her, I said, I will probably be, coming into this, your least flexible client you have ever encountered. And so far, I have proven her right time and time again. In fact, she did. She goes, she said something like, oh, I'm sure that's not the case. And then she has not refuted it in the six or seven times we've been together. So I think I know how to take that. So she loves going wherever you are in the spectrum of where you're wanting to grow. I want to take you where you are and help you get to that next level. And for the next several weeks, I want to be your Dana about the Bible. That's what I want to be. We are going to be talking about the Word of God, and there's some people here who are going, I've been in church forever, I've know, I know the Bible, I grew up in church, I, I could get up here and I could teach, or I could teach a Bible study, or when we talk about certain things, you know the references real quickly, I, I get that. And there's some people here going, uh, I don't even know what a testament is. I, I honestly don't even know why we look at the Bible, and I get that. And what I love doing and what we're going to do for the next several weeks in January, we'll get back to Luke, I promise, but we want to take time to very intentionally equip people at the beginning of this new year to say, how can you know God through his word? We want you to love it. I want to tell you, first of all, right off the bat, especially to those of you who might feel like, "Eh, okay, you can do this. And I don't say you can do this to know your Bible, to understand your Bible, to pick up your Bible and read it on your own. I don't say you can do this because you're so smart, you're so clever. That's what the whole world says is I believe in you and just look inside yourself. Really, the reason I say you can do this is because we have a God that wants to be known. And so if he wants to be known, he's going to make a way that you can do that. So I believe in God, really is why I think you can do it. Because he wants you to know, he'll enable the way to do it. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and then God didn't just leave us on our own. He gave us the church to be able to say, this is how you know God through his word. And that's what we're gonna be doing over the next several weeks. Now, I'm gonna start out the new year, though, and my favorite illustration, I'm gonna toss a little pebble in your shoe, maybe make you a little uncomfortable about something, but I wanna say this very clearly and directly. 
that understanding your Bible, Bible reading for the Christian is not optional and it takes commitment. Bible reading, learning to understand the Bible for a Christian, for someone who says they want to follow the God of the Bible, isn't really like a nice add-on to your faith if you have time. It really is. It is essential in our faith. And the, the reality is it takes commitment to do that. Like with anything that you want to grow in, it takes commitment to do that. And that can be a little hard. And what I don't want you to feel is guilt. I want you to feel, okay, I've got this. I can do this. God can do a work in me that I can be a man or a woman of the book. It's not optional for the Christian. Now, I'll also say this. In counseling, they teach you to never say never or never say always. Don't say that or every time, those kinds of words. Like, oh, she never listens to me. Like, really? Never? Well, most of the time. Well, then say most of the time. He always cuts me off. Really? Always? You know, you never say it. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say always every Christian that you know that you respect is a student of the word of God. Every Christian that you respect is a student of the word of God, knows their Bible. Every parent, every Christian parent, would want their kid to know the Bible, 100%. They would want their kid to know the Bible. And every Christian I've ever talked to would like to know the Bible well. Some people do, some people haven't gotten there yet. What we're gonna be doing is figuring out how do we get there. So <clears throat> we'll address some of these things over the coming weeks and some of the emails and things that are coming out. But really, if we're all going, okay, this would be great. If I'm a Christian, I'd love to know this. I'd love to know it better. Um, some of the reasons that people don't are the question of relevance. Like it just sort of seems boring. It's a lot of hard work. I, I sat down and I read, I didn't have this big epiphany and walk away. And so it wasn't really helpful. And it does take time. It does take effort and energy. And so it just didn't seem like it was worth it. Or the, um, the technique question about, I don't really know enough. Like there's, there's professional Christians and they really know what they're doing, but I just don't really know how to study the Bible. Can I just tell you, <clears throat> you and I in America have a great leg up because so many of the stories of the Bible, um, we naturally know some of them if you've just been in America for a while and you've just, um, you just sort of hear some of them in the culture. I was in Haiti once, and we were on a mission trip, and I was there in a room with about 40 kids, and they were probably about third grade through college, and they don't speak English, and I don't speak Creole. So we had a translator, and I was not prepared for this, but we were just kind of saying hi and saying our name, and the guy would translate, and then, then the guy goes, oh, come here, and he grabs me, and he goes, Pastor Jim is going to share a Bible story with you. And he looks at me, he's like, is that okay? Will you do a Bible story for the kids? And I was like, yes, thank you. That's no problem. On the fly to think of a Bible story to tell the kids about third or so grade through college with a Creole translator, no problem. I'd be glad to do that. Thanks for putting me on the spot. And so I did. And so I went, okay. And I kind of looked over at my team and I was trying to think of like so many, which one do I do? So I did um, Jesus calming the wind and the waves. And so <clears throat> I'd said, all right, here's the story. And, and there were some kids, and so I was being really like dramatic about it. But you also have to remember, they didn't have a clue what I was saying. And so I'm like being dramatic and kind of a little goofy and overacting for the little kids. And I would just sit there and I'd be like, hurry up and translate. And then he'd translate it and they'd be like, ah. It was, oh, it was really awkward. They were great doing it. I probably should have done it totally different. But I, so I, I went through and I acted out the wind and the waves and Jesus was in the boat and then the wind and the waves came and it shook the boat and, and I grabbed some people. I had to get up here and, you know, the shaking and all that. And um, 
And then Jesus stood up and he said, you know, be still. And the wind and the waves were still. And then I just explained the point. Jesus, he, that, that you have this creator God that's over nature, that's over everything. And so that was the very simple message. And that's the God that desires a relationship with us. And I got done and they were very nice. And, you know, they, they all did that. And I was like, oh, oh thanks. And then um, one of them raised his hand and asked the question. And the guy goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. And they said, they want you to do it again. I said, the same, like the same thing I just did, just so I understand. And I literally was like, are you sure you got that translation right, that he wants me to do it again? They're like, yeah, they want to hear it again. They're like, okay. And I was like, but my friends are going to help me. So I, then I roped in everybody and made them do it, and we acted it out again, and we grabbed some of the kids there, and we're like, get in the boat, and we, you know, we were doing those kinds of things. And we went through it all, and I remember as we were going through to do it again, I had grabbed some of the, the Haitian kids, and I'd pulled them in the boat with, the, the boat with us up here, and I said, okay, now we're going to tell the story again. And before I, before I do it, I just want to ask, so how many of you have heard this story before? Let me just see. Raise your hands. Not a single hand went up. And I went, oh, yeah. I know this. I grew up in church. A lot of you that maybe didn't even grow up in church are going, I don't really know all the details, but I know that, I know that story. And I looked out, and I thought, they don't know one of the most basic stories. They've never heard it before. And then I'm doing it again, acting it out, and my eyes are just like welling up with tears, and I'm realizing that's why they said, tell us again, is because it's this amazing story. And, and I, me I remember as we did it again, I was going through it, and then I said, and then Jesus stood up, and here's what he said. And we waited. I said, he said, be still. And the guy translated it, and you could just see them like going back and forth like this with the translator, hearing this story for the first time. One of the advantages that we have is some of the stories, not all of them, some of the stories, if you're over about 40 or so especially, um, probably some of the stories of scriptures you have just heard by being in America for years. The Christmas story, the Easter story, some of the big stories of the Bible you've probably just heard. And that can actually move you a little bit up the scale to try and understand some of the other things that are happening. We have Bibles. We have all sorts of translations. We have it in English. There's places that still don't even have that. So what I want to do today is I want to help you grow in this. And there's a problem in our world. This is one of the shifts in our culture, something also unique to America that we need to be aware of. And it is radical individualism. This is my term, radical individualism. Radical individualism is, um, <clears throat> says that the world revolves around me. We see that in our culture today at all? I get to decide, that was a good laugh. I get to decide what is true. I get to decide about God. Like everything revolves around me. And so what happens is we sit down to read the Bible and we read the Bible and we think it's a book just about us. And the reality is the book, the Bible is a book about God and the salvation that he has given us through Jesus Christ. Every denomination I know has something about this in their faith statement. Um, the Baptist faith and message in uh, 1962, Baptist faith and message tries to clarify what is the Bible and what's it about. And it talks about the Bible and says it has salvation as its end, meaning the goal. The goal of the Bible is to tell about the gospel message of God. Um, do you know what a catechism is? Catechisms are... Um, They're really good. At, they're, they're question answer formats. They actually use them to teach kids deep truths of the faith. There's a question and an answer, and they memorize them. So, like if you've heard the Westminster Shorter Catechism, some Baptists use this, some um, Congregationalists use this, most Presbyterians refer to this. The Westminster Shorter Catechism 
um, has 107 questions and answers that are to teach children theology. And the first one you might have heard, what is the chief end of man? That's the question. The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why are we here? Why do we exist? What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So as a kid, they learned that growing up. Second one, it's good. They give this to kids. I'm serious. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? And the answer is the word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And question number three, what do the scriptures principally teach? What are they about? And it says, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. You see how we get that flipped if we're in this place of radical individualism that says this is about me, this is I sit down, this better help me, I have this going on, God needs to speak to it, as opposed to we read this and we go, what, is, what do I need to know about God? What does God require of me? That's how we come to the Bible. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, part one, section one, chapter two, article three, in brief, the Catholics are organized. Listen to what they say. The interpretation of the inspired scripture must be attentive above all to what God wants to reveal through the sacred authors for our salvation. Um, the Bible is a book about God. The Bible is a book about the sin of mankind and God's salvation that he has made a way through Jesus Christ, the salvation that he offers through Jesus Christ. When we read the Bible, that is the grand narrative. That is the singular message. And then the Old Testament, the New Testament, all throughout is reinforcing that. Sometimes we think the Bible is a bunch of uh, Aesop's fables. You remember those? Um, I actually just looked at another one last night, the boy who cried wolf. He's out with the sheep and they say, cry wolf if a sheep comes. And he goes, wolf, wolf. And they all come out and he goes, ha, 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 that was funny. And they go back, uh, uh, wolf, wolf. And they all come running out again and, and they go back, and then an actual wolf comes, and he goes, wolf, wolf. And everybody goes, we're not falling for that again. And then he gives the moral of the story. There's no believing a liar even when he speaks truth. So it's really, it's a, it's a story to say, don't lie, is what it's saying. And some people take the Bible to go, I just want to read it, and then someone just give me a little nugget of wisdom that I can, okay, don't lie, good, I can remember that. Don't lie, don't lie, try not to lie. That's not what the Bible is intended to do. It's intended to show us God. We are not the focus of the Bible. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, my favorite quote by Jonathan Edwards, he said, um, he said, the only thing that you and I contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. God has done a work. That's what the Bible is teaching. And so I wanted to show you for a few minutes today, when we start to read the Bible in that grand narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it comes to life for us. Now, the danger, of course, is we go, okay, salvation, I get it, the gospel. Okay, I've got that. Let me move on to, you know, honors Christianity, and I want to get on to the next piece about it. But the reality is understanding the worldview that says, uh, that, says the, that has the gospel is how we view the world and view our lives and view the people around us, that is where the battlefield is today, is in this realm of the worldview, and how do you see it? I'm going to give you some examples. Um, <clears throat> If I were to stand here and I were to use the words abortion, sexuality, or the poor, something like that, or you can pick your other topic, there would be people that would feel very uncomfortable and think that Jim's about to get political. That is a relatively new phenomenon. Last hundred or so years or so in the West, something like that. The reality is 
churches for a couple thousand years have stood up and said, here is what the Bible says about these things. And our political realm, they're trying to co-opt God's issues. But think about our worldview and how it's shifted. Ooh, politics gets dibs on that. I don't know if you should talk about it. That's a worldview issue where we see politics, we see our nation, we see that as dominant as opposed to if we are constantly reminded of our salvation, that there's a God in heaven who is God overall. He was here, eternity past, will be here, eternity future. All of a sudden, when I start saying that, no one feels uncomfortable. Or if you were to think about <clears throat> the, a worldview that says, like, how, how does the world show us who the enemy is? What does the news, the, the news media, social media, print media, what does it say? There's basically two sides. This side hates this side. This side hates this side. This side says all these people are idiots. This side says all these people are idiots. And the reality is the news, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get us to watch. And so what do people like to watch? We like to watch a fight. And so it's, we know intuitively, yes, there's problems, but we also know that it's blown a little bit out of proportion, maybe a lot out of proportion in some ways, but we can start to view the world as though the enemy are people on the other side from us instead of the enemy is the enemy. We were, um, my kids go to Faith Christian and um, the day before school started, Jeffco Public Health sent out, a, sent out a notice that said the kids are gonna be required, at about four o'clock, they sent an email to the schools after many emails that said the kids are not gonna be masked this year, they sent an email and said they are gonna be masked. And the guy at Faith stood up and he said, we just got this and I need you, we were at a parent meeting at this time. He stood up and he said, we just got this. And he made a comment about it that there was a lot of applause. I won't share what the comment was. And then, um, <clears throat> and then he said, and I want to tell you something else that my wife always reminds me. He said, the enemy is not Jeffco Public Health. The enemy is not the state of Colorado. The enemy is the enemy. And I thought, well, darn. <laughs> it's much easier to just be mad at some embodied person or group. And, I, and he gave me a good reminder to go, ah, the enemy is the enemy. If I remember my salvation, if I remember the gospel, I start to remember that. And if I start living in a worldly way, I go, yeah, they're the enemy. He's the enemy. She's the enemy. That team is the enemy. This changes everything about how we see the world. Now, <clears throat> here's what we're gonna do. I wanna take you for just a few minutes this morning um, through a book of the Bible called Philemon. Philemon. And I'm gonna encourage you right away to do something, which is there's Bibles around you, and I'm gonna encourage you to grab one and get it out. And Grace, if you can put that up, because I put the page number on it, and it is such a short book of the Bible, when you're gonna see there's not a page 1,186, because um, if it's the chapter of a book, it doesn't put the page number on it, and it's only one page. It's the book of Philemon. And um, I wanna look at this with you, and I wanna try and show you a couple practical things and show you why this method of understanding the Bible matters. It's near the back of your Bible. It's a one, little one-pager. So two quick principles I'm going to give you as we dive into this, and then I'm going to demonstrate them. First of all, remembering the main story, that the Bible's not just some manual that you're going to pick up that's going to say, do A, B, and C, and your life is going to work out perfect. That's not what the Bible is. Remember the main story. Remember this gospel of salvation that God is trying to remind us of constantly and consistently. And the second thing, the phrase that perhaps if you get nothing else, and I would say especially if you are someone that's very, very knowledgeable in Bible study, this is the phrase to remember, and I encourage you to go back to it. You need to know what it meant before you can know what it means. 
You need to know what the Bible meant before you can really understand what it means. We talk about this all the time, but really like radically train your mind to stay in the context of the original letter because your tendency is gonna be to go, I kind of know where this is going or I see, I see where this is headed and I know a truth from this to, to start jumping. And let me just show you, if you take this message and you put it in the grand narrative of God of our salvation and you stay in the first century, let me show you how this comes to life. So here's the setup. You've got three people in this. You've got the book of Philemon. There's the page number. And you've got Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. And everything I'm going to tell you, you can get from the introduction, probably, maybe the Bible you have, or even a decent study Bible. You have Paul, you have Philemon, and you have Onesimus. Those are the three main characters. Paul is the author. He is in prison. Some people say he's in Ephesus. I think they're wrong. I think he's in Rome, which is the majority position. He's in Rome in prison for his faith, and he is writing a letter back to Philemon. And the reason he's writing, he's writing regarding someone named Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave, or you might think of him as somebody who is employed at their house, serving in their house. So here's the story of what happened, and you'll see it unfold. And all this is probably in any very, very basic introduction in any study Bible. Paul's in prison in Rome, and um, Philemon is over in Colossae, and he had Onesimus. Onesimus left and went to Rome. Either he went to Rome just in the hustle and bustle, he just wanted to get lost and not be found out because he's a runaway slave in that day, or um, it's possible that he actually set out to find Paul. I think the first one's probably the better option that he ran to Rome to try and hide. And in God's providence, what we know is he found Paul in prison. Paul has led previously, he's led um, Philemon, the guy he's writing the letter to. He's led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And when Onesimus, his slave, comes to him, he starts putting the pieces together. He leads Onesimus to faith in Christ. And so what we have now in front of us is a letter from Paul back to Philemon, instructing Philemon what he's supposed to do with this man that has betrayed him and up and left. Let me show you how to read this with gospel eyes. This is the shortest of Paul's letters. There's 335 words in the Greek. And he starts out, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, that's who it's to, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. I have no idea if I said those name rights. That's the other names right. Just plow through them, say them confidently, and everybody will think you're a genius. Now, what they did generally in the ancient world, the, um, the title of a book was to the main recipient, in this case, Philemon. There's a couple other people as as well, that was a courtesy, he adds them. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, we're in verse five, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is 25 verses. The first seven are a greeting. The last about five are the goodbyes and say hi to these people. And so we've really got like 13 verses in what we call the body of the text. Here they are. You got the context. Paul's writing to Philemon saying here, Onesimus is probably one of the bearers of this letter, by the way. You need to know that in the story. Verse eight, 
Paul says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ or I'm able enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, he's gonna ask something of him, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I'm gonna ask you instead. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. All right, pause right there. Paul has saved this guy's life in a sense that he's led him to faith in Christ. Paul has apostolic authority. He's planted the church there. They listened to Paul in that day so much so that Paul could say, do this, and they would do it. And he says, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna make my case and I'm gonna let you make a decision. I think Paul's actually trying to say, I'm gonna see if my discipleship of you has worked. So, so what's he doing? Um, he's about to cash in his chips. He's about to ask for a favor. You, you ever had this where someone owes you a favor and maybe somebody knows that they owe you a favor and so they go, hey, will you go ask him to do this? Because they, they, they know that you owe them the favor. And you weigh very carefully like, ooh, do I want to use all my capital on this one? Or do I want to keep this thing banked? This is Paul going, this is incredibly important. And so he is going to, he is going to say, I'm going to call in my favor to him. Here's what he says. And appeal to him to do what? He says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. And then it says, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And if you just take a moment, this is the other thing I want to encourage you to do, is to just pause and just read slowly. When it says, he be when I became his father, obviously it doesn't mean biological because it says, in my imprisonment. What he's talking about is he's talking about this very tender way that he and Onesimus have bonded. When Onesimus left, came to Paul, Paul's led him to faith in Christ, and he says, he's become like a son to me. That's what he's saying. That's their relationship that they had. Paul has become a, a mentor to him. In verse 11, it says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. You might have a study note in your Bible. The word useful is the word Onesimus. So this is a play on words that he's given. This guy, his name means useful. He used to be useless to you. Now he knows Christ. Now he is useful to you in the things <clears throat> that matter. And here's what he says, verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. And then it's like he's going, all right, Philemon, think of it like this. Maybe this is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, not just as a hired hand, but as a brother in Christ is what he's saying. Verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. The next thing I want to tell you about reading the Bible is we need to take time to pause and ponder. One way I like to do it in a thing like this is to just be Philemon for a moment. And here I go, I get this letter from Paul begging me to take my runaway employee slave back. And I'm, I've been living my life. He's been gone for a while, and here I am going, he's this hired hand in my house, and I'm looking, and if he had a family, maybe I'm having to take care of his family. I don't know where he is. Nobody knows where he is. And so honestly, I'm a little mad. 
But he's also, he, he's dear to me, he's in my house, and Christians saw these people differently than um, the larger culture did, as just like slaves to do whatever you tell them. They were employees that were taken care of. And so he also may be going, my heart is breaking. I don't know where this guy is. Is, is he gone? Is he alive? Is he dead? Will I ever see him again? What about his family? Okay, now I've got business decisions. Do I, do I hire somebody else to do what he has to do? Or do I just step in and do it? Or do I have someone else in my family step in and do it? And I'm, I'm mad that he's gone because he ran away, but I'm also, I'm, I'm hurt. This, this has personally cost me money. Like imagine him, if you're really pondering going, oh my gosh, imagine him getting this letter and Paul saying, I could command you to take him back but I'm gonna ask you to do it out of the goodness of your heart. Can you imagine like your mind just swirling with all the different thoughts? Think of the emotions that he would have. Think of all the practical things, the holes that he has to fill. Think of him going back to his wife and going, what are you doing with Onesimus? I don't know, I'm mad at him. I don't know if we should hire someone else. I don't know if we should go put out a search party, but I'm mad, I'm hurt, we're out money. We're having to work harder than we thought. Him leaving has been a radical change in our life, and it's been a betrayal when we have been providing for him. And Paul says, take him back. How in the world could Paul say, take him back? Here's the answer, verse 18. Paul says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. So you get the, the kind of a banking term like he's using. I have an account. You, you owe me. You've seen what I have done for you, that I led you to faith in Jesus Christ, and now I'm asking this little favor of you. In fact, look what it says. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, verse 19. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me your very own self. What he is saying is what I have done for you previously more than pays for the sin that he has now committed against you. Philemon is going, there is a price that has to be paid and the only thing that can happen is somebody has to step in and sufficiently pay that price. It cost him heartache and time and money and caring for his family and maybe hiring new people. And Paul says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. If he owes you anything, charge it to my account. And so what is the book of Philemon about? The book of Philemon is not about, like, imagine if you're just reading this for you and then and, and you're sitting there at your house and go, okay, so I guess what I'm supposed to do is if I ever have an employee that runs away and comes to faith in Christ, and the guy who leads him to Christ happens to be the one who also led me to faith in Christ, and I owe him a ton, and he sends him back, and he says, take him back, I'll take him back. Good, thanks, Bible. How helpful is that, honestly? That's not what we're meant to take from this. What we're meant to take from this is, um, is the radical forgiveness that God has offered us in Christ. Think about it, that, that Paul is saying, if he's done anything wrong, charge it to my account. And Paul is the only one that can stand in the gap and say, and you know what I have done for you. And as a Christian, we can read this message and we can say, we look at a holy, perfect God and say, there's no possible way I can stack up to you. And Jesus Christ on the cross says, if he has sinned against you, charge it to my account. And God the Father says that is a sufficient penalty for this sin. 
So the message of this is not whatever nonsense I just said about if there's a business employee and they do this, we should do it like this. It's a story about the radical forgiveness of God towards us. And it's the radical story. It's a story of the radical forgiveness when God has forgiven us, how we forgive others. So now think about this. All we did was stay in that first century to understand what would have been happening. This is a book about the greatest of sin committed and the greatness of the forgiveness that God offers. And so if you're thinking about it, then you would say, okay, so how, how would this, what are the implications now? We come to 20, 2022, sorry, for our lives. This is how God forgives us. Maybe a person here who's committed some pretty heinous sin against God, and maybe it's sort of public or it's known a little bit, then there's two choices that come up. One is you go, I don't really know how, what, all this forgiveness of God stuff, and so I might just change my theology and run to the world. I'm gonna run to the crowd. And what he's saying is run to the cross. The payment is sufficient because of what Jesus Christ has done. No matter how heinous your crime, go and run to the cross. That's the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to take from this, that a Christian doesn't walk around in shame and guilt when we understand the gospel. This is also about how we have to forgive. You know, when people fall into great sin, you know the last place most of them want to be? The church. They don't feel good enough. They don't feel like they measure up. They feel like if you really, really knew me, you wouldn't really let me in the room. An application for us in the church would be if we see people that have committed the gravest of sin and are repenting and working through it, we can open our arms and shut our mouth. Throw our arms around them. Welcome home. We're not going to be that forgiving unless we understand the gospel. I have a, an example I want to give quickly. I'll leave out details. But when I was in Texas, I was a, a pastor there, and <clears throat> there was a, um, a dad that bought, uh, he was into firearms, and he had one for his kid. He had one for his family, and he put one in a safe. And he said, uh, and his wife said, you know, our son has gone through some different depression. And so don't give him the combination. And the dad said, I'll get to that. And he didn't. And the worst happened, and I'll leave it at that. How in the world does that marriage, how do they ever look at each other again? How can a dad forgive himself for that? How can the wife ever forgive the husband for his laziness and his being dismissive? And here I am meeting with them as like a 35-year-old or something like that, trying to walk them through this. And I didn't know what to do, so I just kept telling them about forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. The grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient. Even for that thing that you can't go back and change, even for the thing that there's no way you want to forgive that person for, the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient. Marriage is meant to reflect the gospel. So if you're married, I'm married. This would be an application for me. This is something in your marriage. You, don't, you shouldn't have to, like a Christian marriage, you shouldn't have to pull back. You shouldn't have to say, I'm just not going to let her see this side of me. I'm not going to let him see this side of me. That we should be able to sit and be fully known and that our spouses, and we would do the same for them, that, that we would be fully loved by them. Because we understand our salvation. We understand the gospel. We understand our own brokenness and that, that maybe she's in sin right now, but it'll be me the next day. Or maybe I'm in sin now, but it'll be her the next day. That, that, we, that we understand this. And so it's a place where you go, I want to model the covenant love of God with you. That it's a place that's safe where you can be fully known, fully loved. Here's some quick homework for you. Three things. Remember the main story. 
When you're reading the Bible, instead of just going, God, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Stop and just remember the big narrative of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. Always ask the question, the second one, meant before means. Stay in the first century, or, or earlier if you're reading Old Testament, stay in that first century. What would, they, what would it have meant to them back then? Then I can figure out what does this mean for me today? And then I just said, make space to pray and ponder. Don't have your phone sitting there. Parents with little kids, I know this is, dif- this is a difficult one because you could be reading and, oh, wow, really interested. And then you hear something and eh, I sound like a chicken. I'm sorry, it's supposed to be a child. Uh, and, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm gone. I'm, I'm over here now thinking about whatever the kid's screaming about. How can you make that space to just walk through slowly and pray and ponder? Um, <clears throat> the reason I'm teaching this book today is um, if Dennis or someone was preaching and, um, and he called me that morning and said, Jim, I'm, I'm sick, I can't do it, and I know the service is in an hour, I could probably almost stand up and teach this book. And the reason, I gotta get another one now, I guess, uh, but the reason is this. When I was in college, some of you have heard this, when I was in college, I was in a very dry space spiritually, and I, I had done the growing up in church, you, you spend 30 minutes, and you start out praying, and then you read the Bible, and you have a plan, and then you journal, and then you pray again. I had a very like systematized way of doing it, and honestly, it just felt sort of dry and rote at that point. And I'm getting college now, and I'm meeting people from all over that didn't do it that way, and they seem to have these thriving lives. I took the book of Philemon, and I just said for an entire month, all I'm going to do is read that book one time in the morning and one time at night. And all of a sudden, from just doing that, I could almost, not quite, but I could almost just pop up and look at it and remember it. Do that with the book of Jude as well. And that's not bragging. I'm I'm saying, do that. Like find some of these one chapter books and just do that and just read them over and over and over and watch what God does as the same message just sinks in with you. I wanna just say as your pastor, I have such a deep desire for you to know the word of God. Such a deep desire for you to feel comfortable handling this, not because we can all be scholars about the Bible, but that we can know its author. And so what I'm praying this entire month, I'm going to encourage you to do the same, is to pray that whenever we're talking about this and understanding it and really, really knowing God, that there's nothing in you that says that's really nice for somebody else to hear. It's the word of God for all of us today.